It's so good to be back with you. I know we are in 2021 in this journey through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. And I know in your reading, you might be in a part of a journey right now that might be particularly difficult. You might be in Leviticus. You might be in Numbers. For some of us, we might still be in Genesis. But, uh, you know, if you find it very difficult in some of the readings, my encouragement to you is keep pressing on in. Because studies show this. Studies show that the number one catalyst for you growing in your faith, in your walk with the Lord, is not only knowing God's word, but it is taking steps of obedience towards it. And so as we unpackage this, uh, we have a lot to cover today, so I want to encourage you, put on your seatbelts. We've got a lot of ground to cover because last week John had introduced to us a, a section of Scripture beginning in, verse Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 50, this is the, the time of the patriarchs. Those who God had, last week we were introduced to Abraham, and that God, <coughs> excuse me, God called Abraham and said, through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And so you have Abraham and Sarah, and they're having a, a son at a very late age. In fact, do you remember a son that they had earlier, but they, they, it was through the servant of Sarah? Do you remember Hagar? And that because they were trying to help God along with his promises, they kind of took matters into their own hands. I'm glad we never do that, but they did. But, you know, ultimately God said, no, 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 no. I've got a promise. That promise is coming. And sure enough, at a very old age, they received Isaac. Well, Isaac grew up, and there's a whole host of stories about Isaac. But, but here in this journey we're in today, this part of the journey, I, I have that we are talking through Genesis 27 through 30 today. But, you know, we, we've got to start that by setting the stage in Genesis chapter 25. So I want to encourage you, turn there in your Bibles, Genesis 25, because there's some foundational statements made here that are going to set us up for this journey here today, because we are going to take this journey even as through as um, the first part of Genesis 32. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Are you ready? You ready? Okay, open up your Bibles or turn them on. Genesis chapter 25. There is a statement. Um, Rebecca was um, pregnant, and she just had some weird stuff going on in her pregnancy. It sounded like there were, it felt like, I guess, there was a lot of movement in her womb, and I've never been pregnant before. And so, anyway, Rebecca had said something about, this is worth inquiring of the Lord. And the Lord said this in Genesis 25, 23. He says, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. And then this statement, the older shall serve the younger. The, the older shall serve the younger. This was very countercultural back then. And again, it, it, she's just like, hey, we're having twins. But again, whatever the first twin would be, that would be considered the firstborn. 
And in this society, it was everything to be the firstborn son. You've got to understand that. It was everything. You've got the birthright. The birthright was the percentage of the inheritance that you would get. And so, according to the law of firstborn, the firstborn son would get an average two-thirds of the inheritance from dad. And with that would also then later come the, the blessing. Okay, so it was customary during these times that, again, the firstborn got this. But now God is saying here, and and mind you, this is being stated before these babies are born. So you need to take notice of that. But then I want to jump to the next chapter in chapter 26. You have God confronting Isaac and again making a promise to Isaac very similar of what was the promise made given to Abraham in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 12. He says this, Genesis 26, 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So these two statements, you have a promise given. Now, undoubtedly, Rebecca had to have told Isaac, hey, there's something in me, but God said we're going to be having twins. But he says something very, very strange that the older is going to serve the younger. Very, very, very strange. So Isaac, knowing this, but then having this particular promise given him, If you were a dad and you said that there was going to be greatness coming from your lineage, what kind of son would you look to that had what it takes to fulfill the promises of God? And so here's what Isaac does that many of us find ourselves doing. And that is, despite what God has said, we look at our circumstance and said, you know what? it's probably not going to come down that way. Because here's what happened. If you go back then to the actual birth, you had twins born, and it says here in uh, verse 25, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. So the firstborn is born, he's hairy and red, and when I read that, I see something like this. All right? I mean, let's just address, let's just address the elephant. I'm going, my goodness. You know, and because he comes out hairy and red, they name him Esau. So they just go, well, he looks like Esau. He's hairy and red. So Esau is his name. Now, um, this guy, though, turns out to be a man's kind of man. He hunts, okay? He drives an F-150, okay? All tripped out. This guy is a man's man. So, as you read about him, but here's the thing. Jacob was not, you ready to get this image out? Okay, there we go. Um, Jacob was not this stereotypic man's man kind of guy. He liked to cook. He didn't like to hunt. He was kind of a mama's boy. In fact, he hung around mom a lot. And so with that, he probably didn't drive like an F-150. He drove a, like a sedan or something like that. I don't know. Um, but, but now, if you guys are Isaac and you're looking at these two boys you got, 
and you're saying, okay, here's the promise given through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and through this one that I have chosen, that you will fill these lands that I promise you. So you have a choice. Is going to be mama's boy Jacob, or is it going to be daddy's boy Esau, man's man kind of a guy? And so look at what verse 28 says. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, if you're parents of kids, don't do this. All right? Don't, don't play your favorites. I know your kids will, will, will try to figure out who, who does mom or dad like more. No, don't let that happen, okay? But this is what happens. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I was reading, I'm, I remember Young reading through this story time and time again and go, God, what are you doing? This is a very dysfunctional family. And you are blessing a very dysfunctional family. Like in my mind, if I were God, I would pick like less dysfunction than this. But I'll be honest with you, I'm encouraged when I see this dysfunction. Because I got some dysfunction going on in me. Uh, don't you amen that? Amen. <laughs> because you got some dysfunction in you guys too. All right, praise God. Praise God for that dysfunction. So anyway, with this, this story goes on. You've got a lot here then that happens in uh, Genesis chapter 26. But I want to fast forward because of, the, of time. We have uh, Isaac getting old and him getting to that time where he then gets to bless and go through this birthright ceremony, this ceremony of inheritance and, and all this. So Genesis 27, we have that story. And if I could summarize this for you, um, one of the dysfunctions of this family is the secrecy in the family. You have here that Isaac, when you read through this chapter, Isaac secretly tells Esau, okay, you go, you do some hunting, bring back a stew for me so I could eat, and then in doing that, I will bless you. But here is something, that ceremony was never culturally a, a, a private, isolated event. This is always something the family would come to. And so here we see Isaac and what is Isaac doing? Isaac is basically, without realizing it, trying to thwart the will of God. He is saying, okay, yes, God might have said this, but here's how I see it. And so I am going to contend for things working out the way I think they should. So here's how the story plays out. Rebecca overhears the secrecy. Rebecca says, okay, Jacob, now is your chance. Your chance to live up to your name. Because here is how Jacob was named. When Jacob was born, did you see anything that was very intriguing about Jacob's birth? He came out grabbing the heel of his brother Esau. Um, you could tell there was a wrestling match going on. And so Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. Okay, so we have Esau, red and hairy, and you've got heel grabber. Now, I'm so glad I wasn't named after what I came out looking like, all right? But, but Jacob's name also has a double meaning. 
deceiver, trickster. Okay, so now you have Rebecca telling her son, Jacob, okay, now it's time for you to live up to your name. We are going to trick your dad so that we can get that blessing so that you, my son, my favorite son, can get the blessing. Now, here's where it gets hilarious. And this is why I love reading God's Word. There's just a lot of hilarity to it when you read through it. Um, in verse 12, if you look at Genesis 27:12, as they are conniving and coming up with this plan, the plan of which is hilarious because verse 12 says, perhaps my father will feel me. So Jacob is concerned that Isaac is going to... Um, call out the deception and so man if dad feels me he is going to know i'm not esau but then listen to what he says i shall seem to be mocking him now read through that again because that should cause you to laugh okay if if he feels me and realizes that i'm not esau he's going to realize that i'm mocking him yes this whole plan is mocking him jacob so it says, and, and this is where it gets interesting too, that his mom says, okay, I will go get some goat skin and, and hair on that goat skin, and we will wrap your arms in it. Now, again, I said Esau is a man's man, but to wrap your, yourself in a dead animal to typify your man's man kind of brother, that's kind of a little bit weird. He's got to put on just this hairy stuff that smells like that of the fields and all that kind of stuff. So, anyway, let me summarize this for you. You have now Jacob coming in quickly. It's almost like Isaac is surprised how quickly Esau was to come back. And so then Jacob starts to speak and says, how is it that you found so quickly, son? Because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I might feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Why would he say that? Because I think there was something in his voice that gave it away. Something in his voice. But even though he had the check of the spirit in his voice, it says then that, that, that Isaac touched his arms and realized, oh no, this has got to be my son Esau because nobody is that hairy. Okay? There is a sermon in that action alone. Okay, I mean, hearing the voice, yes, my heart says this, but feeling, you know what? I'm going to go with my feelings instead. He goes with his feelings instead. To summarize all of this, he says, come near my son that I may bless you. And he gives Jacob, the younger one, the blessing. And in that blessing, in verse 29, it says, you will be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So the blessing has been given. The transaction, the verbal transaction is given. And there's something in that day that the verbal transaction was as binding as a written transaction. So this has happened now. And then Jacob 
His deception now is complete. He goes, he is the blessed man. He's the one with all the inheritance. And Isaac reserves nothing for anyone else, which I find interesting when you look at Abraham's blessing at the end of his life. Yes, he had the family gathering and he reserved some gifts for even the sons of the concubines, the the servants that he had kids with. So anyway, you have Isaac giving everything over. And Isaac had intended everything to go over to Esau. But then Isaac has an aha moment that I don't want you to miss. In verse 33, when Esau comes in and he says, who are you? And Esau says, well, I'm your son. You sent me out to do this for you. And here is your venison. Here is, here is everything I've prepared for you so that I might get the blessing. And then verse 33 says, and Isaac trembled very violently. He trembled violently. You know, you could simply read that and gloss over that because in the English, it just says out, it probably is like he realized that he had been duped. But um, when you look at the language there in the Hebrew, it means that all of a sudden he realized what the will of God was that he has been attacking all along that God's will eventually came forth, that despite how hard Isaac had tried, that now the blessing was given to the younger. Oh, I tell you, there's a lesson in that, isn't there? There's a lesson in that. See, here is the trap that we see this family falling into, knowing the word of God, doing the will of God, but not in the way of God. And when you read through these patriarchs and their family and the dysfunction and all of that, you will see that God is growing them up to what it means to be my people, what it's going to mean to grow up in faith. And so with that, this is why it is so important for we to be a church that knows the word of God. And in knowing the word of God, you know the will of God. This is why the number one catalyst for spiritual growth is getting into the word of God. That we got to do that, but we also have to do that in the way of God. And so much of what we see in these chapters, it's not being done in really the ways of God, but at the end of the day, God's will will be accomplished. So here's then what happens. Continuing on in the story. Esau hates Jacob. He threatens to kill Jacob. Mama tells Jacob it's time to finally cut the apron strings. Jacob goes to his uncle Laban's to look for a wife. And so now we find ourselves in the journey of Genesis 28 is the journey to uh, Laban's place. And then uh, in 29, you see that there was a hole in Jacob's heart. He, He longed to be loved. How do we know he longed to be loved? Well, when you read through the text and he sees this, this, this beautiful, gorgeous, hot woman, her name was Rachel, and it says this, it says that, yes, Laban had two daughters in verse 16, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel, and then it says this, Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, let me translate that for you. This is not saying that Leah needed readers because she couldn't see really well, but that Rachel had great vision. This is not what that is saying. 
That is saying that you could probably put Leah up here on the stage. She could look over here that way, and she could tell me what's going on on stage and what's going on here at the back of our auditorium, okay? Her eyes were weak, okay? So she wasn't, according to the text, anything to look at. His heart was directed to Rachel, and he was so drawn to Rachel that it says this, In verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. He said, seven years. Do you know that that was four times the length of time in a typical dowry back then? This is how much he was so starved for the love and affection of this beautiful knockout. He's just saying, hey, in the past, Esau was the man's man, but now I'm, look, this is going to be my trophy wife. And so, you know, a, a, a beautiful Valentine's card here in verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Oh, uh, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Well, Laban, Laban does something so, so bad. In fact, what was customary at that time was that when you were wed, that there was a veil not just put over your face, but over your whole head. And that veil stayed on until you went in the night of your ceremony and you consummated that marriage. And then what happens is that he wakes up the next morning and who is laying there with him? This is hilarious in verse 25. I'm sorry. Behold, it was cross-eyed. It was, it was Leah. Leah, do you know what her name means? Cow. Okay, so in any culture, that is a derogatory. I'm just sorry. Sorry for those of you who are named Leah. Your parents didn't do their homework. Anyway. Um, <laughs> behold, it was Leah. How shocking. I remember reading this and just going, man, that was so bad of Laban. How could he have done that? And so there's this interchange. It would have been a very heated interchange if I was a a, a part of this. And he says, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you Jacobed me? Oh, it's good, isn't this? And Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And then Jacob had to go back and realize, ooh, it's not customary in my day for the younger to get the birthright and the younger to get all the inheritance and the younger to carry on the blessing. And so I believe that's probably why Jacob didn't fight it. So he agreed to work another seven years, but at least... Um, Rachel was given to him at the beginning of that seven years. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Leah. Here you are married to a man who obviously doesn't love you. In fact, if you look at verse 30, Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. If you look at Jacob's story, 
Jacob is running after so many things to fulfill him. So many things trying to fulfill him in the very same way we do. And yet for Leah, Leah is finally at this time, well, you know, if Leah wasn't anything to look at, she thought she probably never would get married. But then all of a sudden, because of the trickery of her dad, she gets married and is ready for that affirmation only to see the horror of Jacob's face when he realized that he married her. Now, I want you to get into the emotion of that moment. Here is Jacob who was looking for love. Here is now Leah who's looking for love. And uh, what, what I find in this, very heartbreaking. If, if you read verse 31 to the end of the chapter, you see that Leah... Verse 31, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And in fact, then he didn't love her. And so then a second baby was born and given a similar name of just going, okay, this time he's got to love me. And then a third baby, this time she is after the love of her husband. That is what she is living for. And you know the great triumph, the redemptive part of this part of the story is this. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. This time, I will praise the Lord. In your Bibles, it says Lord. It does not say, I will praise God. Whenever your Bible says God, that is terminology for the word for God, Elohim, which is creator God, almighty God. But when you use the word Lord, and it's Lord in all caps, that is Jehovah. That is the covenant name. That is the intimate name for God. So here for three sons that were given to her as a gift of God, and she's using those gifts to try to earn the love of her husband. Finally, son number four, whose name was Judah, by the way. It is through the line of Judah that Messiah would come. See, between Rachel, who Jacob loved, and Leah, who Jacob didn't care for as much, the Messiah would come from Leah. And I believe this is a, a point of her salvation. She gets it before her husband Jacob gets it. So see, when you, when you look through this, I mean, there are so many lessons there are so many lessons that can be gained from this. But my question for each one of us is, what is it that we are looking for to fulfill our lives? Is it success? Is it riches? Because for Jacob, that's what he was living for. Is it for how your family life is and how well your kids do? And is it that what you're living for? See, if you allow me to go back to the visual of what this... Uh, provides me uh, and, and provides what the scriptures say about this idea of idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything but God in the role of ultimate in your life. And so here, 
what happens, and, and, and we do this great exchange where we exchange something of eternal significance for something that's very, very temporary. And, and here, when we go to bed with those things, so to speak, thinking that they will fulfill us, it's almost like you go to bed with Rachel and you wake up in the morning with Leah. That it's it just, that way, that's not what I thought. That's not what I thought that I was hooking up with. That, that is not what I thought. And, and time and time again, I think so many people, even in the church of Jesus Christ, are living that out. We're looking for other things, even good things, to become ultimate things. And in the morning, we're finding out that at the end of the day, it's not satisfying. It's not bringing the fulfillment. Well, let's stop right there at this part of the journey. And what are the lessons from Jacob's faith journey so far that I think we learn about God through this? Lesson number one is despite your sinfulness, God sets his love on you. This is what I love about the story. And that is God set his love. And when God sets his love on somebody, he does not give up on that. Doesn't give up on that. And in fact, here you have in Romans 5, a, a, a truth that we will see in such a beautiful way. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for you and I in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this goes back to the very first promise that was given, that there was nothing that Jacob would do that would earn God and God's calling on Jacob's life. There is a doctrine out there that, you know, in doctrine today in church world is not very popular to study because some people say, oh, it's so divisive or, or, or you know, it's just not as important. But doctrine is important. And one of the doctrines we get here is the doctrine of divine election. Divine election. And I know um, it's very difficult in this time. This is kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but divine election is a doctrine I think is so important in that it reminds us that who is it that does the saving? Do you do anything to save yourself or is it the work of God who saves you? I want you to think about that wherever you are. I want you to think about that. Are you the one that saves you or is it that God is the one who saves you? See, we see and read time and time again throughout the scriptures, uh, scriptures like what we find in, in John chapter 1, 12 and 13 that says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You see... These are some of those difficult doctrines to wrap our minds around because when you study the scriptures and all that the scriptures say, there are some very clear tensions in scripture that we cannot fully explain. Does God have his sovereign will that he is carrying out that nothing could mess with? Yes, Isaac finds that out, that this is the will of God. This will happen. This will be. The older will serve the younger. That's set in stone. That is going to happen. That is the will of God. Well, then some of us go, well, then where does free will come into place? 
Well, I know there's a lot of if-thens in Scripture. If you do this, then I will bless you. If you don't do this, then I won't. And there's a lot of that in Scripture. One thing I've got to be okay with and we have to be okay with is this tension that as sinners, in Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world, our hearts were tarnished. And there's nothing about a sinful heart that will be drawn to God because sinfulness breeds sinfulness. And so when Christ comes into the picture, he does for us that w- something that we cannot do. He lives this, this perfect, this, this sinless life, and, and he suffers a horrible death in our place so that we could be given an incredible gift. That is the Holy Spirit of God who woos your soul to God himself. And it is he that does the saving, that even though you sin, he is still wooing you back to himself. He is the one, the one who started this good work is faithful to complete it. But our salvation is the work of God. Our own righteousness is nothing but filthy rags before a holy God. But what I love about God, and when I came to realize this doctrine of election, that it is that God called me. And it's not that God looked in the future. I heard it explained this to me so many times. The doctrine of election explained that, well, God knew that you were ultimately going to pick him, so he picked you. And I go, well, then now you're putting again my salvation experience on me as opposed to the work of God. Our salvation is the work of God, and our joy is coming into obedience to the will of God. Despite your sinfulness, though God sets his love on you, and when he calls you, he is faithful and will relentlessly be about carrying out what he wants done in you and through you. Secondly, no matter how much you fight it, God's will will always prevail. We learn that, and we're reminded of that in Esau. But I think you need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that, that God's will does not need our help. It's just our cooperation, but we need to yield ourselves to his timing. And so many times we get ourselves into trouble when we think God needs help, and we work our own plan. It would have been fascinating to see how this would have worked out with Jacob if he had known earlier, hey, let me yield and just trust myself to how God is going to work this out without all this deception and chaos going on. But you know what? We see God working that out for the good. In Proverbs 19.21, it says this, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You can anchor your soul to that. Romans, in Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But don't stop there. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. I would encourage you, just read those verses, study those verses. And I'll tell you where we see this played out in Jacob's life. If you go back now to Genesis chapter 32, Genesis 32, later in Jacob's life, Jacob is now on his way back to his home territory. He's got to go through Esau's territory. He knows what Esau thinks about him. But on the way, the text says that Jacob 
wrestles with God. He wrestles with the Father. And this is how I want to tie all of this up here today, is because we see Jacob wrestling with God, probably a pre-incarnate Jesus. And, and, and he says in verse 26 of Genesis 33, I will not let you go until you bless me. Okay, what father now is he longing a blessing from? Is it his earthly father Isaac or his heavenly father? He is longing for the blessing from his heavenly father. He is getting it. For the first time, Jacob is getting it. He says, I will not let go until you bless me. And here was what God did. God honored that. And he says, no longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And this is the beautiful thing. I believe God let him prevail. He was walking with a limp after this, but he gets the blessing of God. He gets his name changed. And about 1,800 times in the Bible, the name Israel is referred to. And that's what he would be, the father of this nation, Israel, the father of the 12 sons who would become the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And here's, I think, a, a, a great lesson for us. The love of your heavenly father is to be received, not achieved. Jacob had the love of his heavenly father. He had, he had always had the love of his heavenly father. But now he wrestles and he just says, man, I, I, I just, I, I want a blessing. And here is what I think is just a beautiful picture I want us to close with. Remember the very first time that Esau appears before his earthly father, Isaac. Did he go clothed as himself or somebody else? He was clothed in the clothing of his older brother, Esau, okay? And so he had to dress up to become something he was not to get the blessing. In the very same way, it's so easy for us to work so hard on reputation and so hard on putting a perception out there of what people are going to look like when they see you. Jacob was caught up in that. But now it wasn't until Genesis chapter 32 where Jacob goes before his heavenly father and he wrestles with his heavenly father. And you know the beauty of how God's word puts it? He receives the blessing. And how is it that we receive a blessing? Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27 says that you and I also put on something to find ourselves getting the acceptability and the blessing of our heavenly father. Do you know what it is that you and I are to put on? Is it are we putting on our own good works? No. Listen to how Paul says this in Galatians 3.26. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So basically, we go before the Father having put on the clothing, so to speak, the righteousness, so to speak, of our rightful older brother, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is where we see the gospel in the Old Testament and how beautiful it, is. it, it, it finds itself um, wrapping around here in the New Testament. So as this family tree goes, you'll have Abraham, you have Isaac. Remember, the promise was that the messianic seed is going to come through the blessed generation. 
And so it's Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob, and then Jacob to Leah. And then next week, we're going to talk about the life of Joseph. And again, the dysfunction continues. But in all of this, you have the doctrine of the providence of the will of God in saying that God, as king and Lord, he has his plan and it will be executed. He calls us to cooperate with that. And so faith then is this. Faith is obeying the word of God by way of the means of God in order to carry out the will of God. It is now not trying harder. It's trusting more in what we have through Jesus Christ when we are clothed in his righteousness. And so then as we are clothed in his righteousness, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit of God who is to to inform us through the word of God what the will of God is and here is the means by which you carry that out. Isn't that good news? I'll tell you, this has been a ride this morning, hasn't it? It's been a ride. I mean, you think chapters 25 really through 32, but I hope that the Holy Spirit of God has used this in some way, that God has pricked your heart maybe in, in maybe one of these areas. Does your life more resemble that of Jacob or Esau? And I'll tell you, it's a tragedy when you read through the story of Esau. Esau, he does everything that his parents don't like. He marries the kind of women that his mom and dad preferred him not to marry. And that led him down a very, very dark place. In fact, the descendants of Esau, as you read through the Old Testament, were the Edomites. And so um, it's, it's a very sad so- story for Esau. In fact, every time Esau is referred to in Malachi and all the way through the New Testament, even the book of Hebrews, It says this, that Esau, he despised his birthright and sold his birthright for a cup of stew. He so minimized the ways and the will of God and the greatness of God's name that he just just chunked that away for a, a cup of stew. But that was Esau. Which life does your life more represent or, or maybe it's like Jacob trying to be something clothe yourself in something you're not to try to get something from other people that your heart is craving for no your heart is longing for Jesus secondly do you work harder at your reputation than your character you know in first Samuel 16 7 16 7 says this man looks on the outside appearance but God looks at the heart and I think so many times we can get caught up in dressing up to be something that we are not but God wants our character to shine or thirdly is your life characterized more by trying harder in your own strength or in trusting more in the provision of God folks there's some great truth to be gleaned. I'm going to invite the worship team out. And I I want you to wrestle with the Holy Spirit of God on this. What is it that God's word is speaking to your heart about? Maybe convicting. Are, are, Are you receiving? Because the Christian life should be marked by those people who love to receive from God what only he can give. Remember, salvation is his work. So many of us have been maybe taught in traditions that says, well, yes, you've been saved by grace through faith, and that is justification, but now it is up to you to continue to save yourself from here on out. That is not in the Bible. 
It is that, no, salvation, your salvation is the work of God. You've responded to him by saying yes, and that's evidenced in you taking steps of obedience, in obedience to his word, in obedience towards his will, in the means by which he is provided, in the way in which he desires. So he gets the glory, not me. He gets the glory. So allow me, wherever you are right now, to just allow me to pray for each one of us to turn the page from from trying so hard to trusting what God has already provided through Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, for some of us, this was just, there was so much there, but thank you for inviting us into the dysfunctional family to see a functional God in the midst of it. Lord, I thank you for that. We thank you for that. Lord, it brings me hope and encouragement knowing that despite whatever dysfunction there is in my heart, that it doesn't cast me away from you. You just said, okay, Brian, let's work on, let let, let me chisel this away. Yeah, but chiseling hurts. Yes, but I've got to chisel off everything that does not look like Jesus. Wow. Okay, Lord, this is going to hurt, yes, but it's going to be so good. Lord, I pray that we have a congregation of believers wherever we are geographically that want to desire to line ourselves up with your sanctifying work of being on the journey of Jacob who had tried so hard to be loved, so hard to gain approval, and then ultimately learned that what he had been fighting for had already been provided through the God who called him by name. And so, Lord, I pray that we will walk in the newness and the freshness and the power of that invigoration of understanding that our salvation is not anything we stumbled upon, but it was something that your love was made manifest to us. And we have received And now may we live in the power and the joy that you are a God who calls. And may we find ourselves resting secure in that, stopping trying, and begin more trusting in you, we pray. In your most holy and precious name, and all God's people said,